We had the ushers pass these out, putting on the armor of Christ, a five-day meditation prayer guide, and this coming out of Sunday night's message and strongholds concerning the marriage, marital strongholds. And, and so it's really the ideal was to get it out a little bit sooner, but it took some time to, to work through and make some changes in formatting it. So Sunday night, I'll plan to have for the next stronghold that we'll look at, we'll have this ready um, and which we'll apply to it. It's really it's just taking thoughts, biblical concepts and the thoughts, applying it, and we give the four different sections, wearing it, standing on it, using it, and drawing it down. And uh, so we'll do that with each of the strongholds that we'll be looking at. And I trust that'll be a help to you just so that you can continue to do as it says, meditate on it by putting on the armor of Christ. Acts chapter 27, and let's remain seated here. But let's look in verse number 9, and we're kind of continuing with this series on what, what to do. What to do when you find bitterness in your life. What to do when you're stressed. What to do when the bottom falls out. And, and so I want to continue with that thought tonight. And looking at this uh, unique passage of Scripture in Acts 27, beginning in verse number 9. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, uh, they, they, they had taken a fast, a little fast, and Paul admonished them. Paul is here as a, um, as a slave, and, and um, he says in verse number 10, and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised, or the majority, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means that they might attain to Phenice and there to winter, which is in, uh, which is an um, uh, haven of Crete and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, losing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive or drift or just let her go. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, straight sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with the tempest, the next day they lighted the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Tonight, I want to talk to you here and preach tonight on using this real life incident, but which is a very visual imagery for us, but 
using this and using the scenario that took place in a real life crisis, use it to apply in our lives. And so the message tonight is entitled, What to Know When You're in a Storm. What to Know When You're in a Storm. In the book, A Night to Remember, Walter Lord, he spoke of that horrific moment that took place April 15th, 1912 at approximately 2.20 a.m. Mr. Lord wrote, and, and I'll quote, The stern of the white star liner Titanic swung slowly upward toward the stars. Her lights went out, flashed on again, then went out for good. Only a single kerosene lantern flickered high in the aftermast. As her stern reached higher, a steady roar thundered across the water as every movable thing aboard her broke loose. There has never been a mixture like it. 15,000 bottles of ale and stout, huge anchors, each link, weighed 175 pounds, 30 cases of golf clubs, 30,000 fresh eggs, potted palms, five grand pianos, a cask of china for Tiffany's, a case of gloves for Marshall Fields, and most valuable of all, 1,500 passengers who had not been able to get off that great ship. The great and the unknown tumbled together in a writhing heap as the bow eased deeper and the stern rose higher. The Titanic was now absolutely vertical with her three dripping propellers glistening in the darkness. For nearly two minutes she stood poised as the noise finally stopped. Then she began sliding slowly under until the sea closed over the flagstaff on her stern with an audible gulp, end of quote. The truth is a wreck of any kind is a terrifying experience. Whether it be a train derailment, an automobile collision, or the crash of an airplane. But by those experts who have studied Wrecks, they say that perhaps the most terrifying of all is a shipwreck. Because of the prolonged agony the passengers and crew endure. In Acts chapter 27, we have the tale of one of the most famous shipwrecks in history. And the Apostle Paul was a part of it. He's on his way to Rome. It's also one of the best told, most detailed shipwreck accounts in ancient history and certainly one of the most profitable for us as hearers. Years ago, several young agnostics, they decided to attempt to destroy faith, people's faith in the Bible. So they took different areas of studies to prove that the Bible was actually and factually in error and historically inaccurate. The assignment of one was a gentleman by the name of William Ramsey. He was to study the journeys of Paul. He was to study the cities mentioned in the, books of, the book of Acts and the, the directions that were given in the book of Acts. 
And particularly, he was to study Acts 27. He was to study it in terms of its accuracy concerning seamanship and the locations that were mentioned. And after his study... Not only did he find that it was historically accurate, but he also found that the truth presented was also divinely inspired. William Ramsey, a young agnostic, as a result of this study became a born-again Christian. And he became one of the greatest defenders of the Christian faith. See, during Paul's ministry in Ephesus, he said in Acts chapter 19 and verse 21, I must also see Rome. And little did he realize all that would happen to him before he actually arrived in the imperial city. He would experience an illegal arrest, Roman and Jewish trials, confinement, and even shipwreck. But he had so wanted to preach the gospel in Rome and then go into Spain, but he had not planned to travel to Rome as a prisoner. But through it all, Paul trusts God and what God is doing in his life. And he was able to see the Lord do an incredible work. Now, why would Luke devote such a long section of this book of Acts to describing, in fact, the entire chapter, describing a voyage, describing a shipwreck? This is an incredible account. But couldn't Luke have summarized it? We find some of the voyages in which Jesus took. And it was summarized in just a few words. But here an entire lengthy chapter, chapter 27. Now remember Luke was an accurate historian. And he presented the important facts about Paul and Paul's journey. But perhaps the major purpose that Luke had in mind was to present the Apostle Paul to us as a successful and courageous leader, even during the most difficult situation in a time of great crisis. Future generations, and even here tonight, we once again prove the fact that we do have a love and a value and appreciation for Paul, and all the more for what he did en route to Rome. Since ancient times, we've used phrases that in life to describe Uh, the life of uh, our our journey of life as a voyage. In fact, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan is based upon this thing. But we sometimes use the phrase or use the term voyage. Um, We're on a voyage of life. Or in everyday uh, conversation, sometimes you may hear, well, things are smooth sailing. Or don't make shipwreck. Or sink or swim. And when a Christian dies, sometimes we might hear one say that she's reached the other shore. Well, Luke was certainly not writing an allegory, but he did use this exciting true life event to show how one man's faith can make a big difference in his life as well as others. Now, we just read a few verses, but this entire chapter is giving us much information. Notice in verse number 29 what it says. And and we see that Paul advised what we just read. Paul advised them not to go. 
But we find that the master of the ship, the owner and the centurion, that is the Roman officer in charge, decided that they would sell regardless of what Paul may have suggested. Verses 18 through 22, we find out what happened when the storm came. But then verse 29, it says, Then fearing, lest we should have fallen upon the rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. Now as we look at this passage tonight, we read about a crisis. It's a crisis that involved a storm. And the truth is, maybe somebody's going through a crisis tonight that's a storm. If not, perhaps you have. And, and if you haven't and you're not, then it's likely you will. Some storms in life we bring upon ourselves. Other storms in life come because of decisions that others have made, much like our elections. People vote for uh, their, their candidate, and sometimes those candidates get into office because of our democratic setup, and they make, a, uh, they, they make policies or they do something in office, and we're affected by that. Some storms we create, other storms we participate in because of somebody else. There are different reasons for storms, and there are different kinds of storms. The Apostle Paul, he's in the will of God, and the Apostle Paul had not done anything to cause this storm, but he did not want them to sell at this particular time because God told him that a storm would come. But because he was a prisoner on that ship, he suffered the consequences of the storm. And I want us to understand tonight some things I could say to fit with the series what to do when you're in a storm, but these are some things that we need to know when we're in a storm. And the reasons that these storms continue in our life and, uh, and what can we learn from them? What can we know when we're going through a storm? Are you going through one? Are you going through a crisis of a storm? First of all tonight, how do you create your own storm? How to create a storm? I'm going to tell you how you can do it. Because... Some people, I think, are just addicted to creating a storm, and they wonder, how do, I, how do I get into this? Well, let me give you three ways to create your own storm. We find this here in verse 11 and verse 12 and verse 13. Number one, storms come when we don't listen to the right advice, or storms come because we listen to the wrong advice. Verse number 11. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than the things which were spoken by, what's his name? Paul. It'd been better to have listened to Paul. You listen to the wrong advice, don't be surprised when that advice brings a storm into your life. There are two voices you'll find in this passage, just like you find in the Garden of Eden, the voice of God and the voice of man. And many times we get into the storm because we listen to the wrong advice. There are a lot of people who would tell you what to do, but we need to learn to listen to the voice of God, not the voice of man. Now again, we can fall into a ditch and, and someone says, I'm not going to listen to my parents. I'm not going to listen to the preacher. But I want to tell you, every God-fearing parent and every Bible-believing preacher is trying to get you to hear the voice of God. The great danger of the people of Israel is that they wanted a king to tell them what to do when they already had God telling them what to do. 
And when you desire to listen to the wrong advice, that's a recipe for a storm. A second way to create your own storm is storms come because we assume the majority is right. The storms come because we assume the majority is right. You ever heard this phrase? Well, everybody. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else thinks it. Everybody else says it. Verse number 12. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in the more part. That means the majority. The majority said, hey, let's go ahead and sell. And so they just listened to the, the majority. Did you know, just throwing it out there, did you know that the majority is not always right? Now know that treasure, uh, the, the democratic process that we have, and we live by the democratic process in our country. But the fact is, she's not always right, even when it's the majority. In fact, you'll find it in the Bible. There are many times when the majority was wrong. There was the majority that said, crucify Jesus, give us Barabbas. And that's what happened, but the majority was wrong. The majority said, we cannot take the land of Canaan in Numbers chapter 13. And when those 10 spies outnumbered the two spies, the two spies said, God can do it. Let's go. But the 10 said no and persuaded the millions because they're the majority's wrong. I'll give you another way in which to create your own storm. Verse number 13 tells us, storms come because we rely on outward circumstances. Outward circumstances. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their uh, purpose, losing thence, they sailed close by Crete. In other words, here's a south wind that began to blow very gently, so they thought, this is what we've been looking for. I don't know what Paul's talking about because this is ideal selling conditions. And the circumstances seemed right. You've got to be careful about your circumstances being your governing factors. Well, therefore, therefore, this is good. It's all good. So therefore, see, the wind can be blowing very gently in the right direction upon your ship as you sail today. And the waters of life and those waters become, but in a moment, everything can change very rapidly. See, the storm can come in the direction the wind can shift, and we know how circumstances can change. You just look at the weather. And just as easy as the weather can change, so can people's circumstances. And when you go off of your circumstances, you lean unto your own understanding, you go off of your own feelings, you know, feelings are very deceiving. Amen. A poet wrote these words, feelings come and feelings go, feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, not else is worth believing. I'll stand on God's unchanging word till soul and body sever. For though the world will pass away, his word endures forever. Amen. Jesus said heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. See, circumstances change. The Word of God cannot. I've heard uh, some people just say, well, everything just, it just looks right. But if God says it's not, it's not. You know, there's an old song that says, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. And people have that mindset. 
It just seems so right. How could it be wrong? How could it be bad when it just feels good? Maybe God put this person in my life to meet a need in my life. Oh, it's just, it just, God worked it all out. Well, but when the wrong voice is also speaking to your ear and you've taken your majority and you've got your circumstances to direct you when you're ignoring the word of God, it's a recipe for creating your own storm. Number two tonight. Once you create your storm, how do you make it worse? You think people want to make it better. But what tends to happen is you create your storm, you make it worse. So how do you make it worse? Perpetuating your storm. Many times we get into a crisis and what happens? We panic. We make the situation worse. Verse number 15, we find that when the ship was caught and could not bear up and and into the wind, we let her drive. In other words, we just let her go. It didn't do any good to fight it, so we just let it go. In verse 17, the latter part says that they let the ship be driven along and and they, they got into a crisis. And one of the things that we tend to do is we give up begin to drift. So number one under this, how to make your storm worse, just drift. Just be carried along by your storm. The Bible goes on to tell us that out on that sea later on, they couldn't even see the stars at night. Now, in that day, they didn't have a a compass like we do, and they navigated a vessel by the stars. And when the storm got so dark that it hid the stars from them, they had nothing by which to navigate, nothing by which to fix their position. That's the way the storms are. And many times we get into a storm and we just give up the hymn. We just go, uh, let go of the rudder of our ship and we just let it go. And pretty soon we don't have anything to navigate by. And we just let the storm blow us back and forth to and fro like the waves of a stormy sea. And then we forget where we are headed and we say, what's the use? I've tried. There's nothing I can do. I can't do anything about the storm. And we just give in. Not only do we Make the storm worse and perpetuate your storm by just drifting. But number two, second, you perpetuate your storm, make it worse when you start to discard. You discard some things. Notice verse 18. And we being exceedingly tossed with the tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. To discard some of the things that we hold dear may not be a bad thing when you're trying to get out of the storm, but some things we discard that God holds dear. First we start to drift and then we start to discard. They discarded tackle, they discarded food, they even discarded themselves. So in a storm you may be tempted to throw out some things that are very necessary to your life. People get into a storm and what's one of the first things they they tend to do? Give up on church. Give up on God. They say something like, well, where's God anyway? Well, he was the one telling you not to go out into the storm in the first place. And you say, well, I've already done it. So you just throw up my hands and throw up your hands. You drift and you start discarding things. And that kind of reaction is what perpetuates your crisis. It doesn't solve the crisis. It just perpetuates it. 
And when you don't feel like being in church because you're emotionally down, I don't know how emphatically to say it, but that's the time you need to be in church the most. You need to be there always, but that's the time when you need it really bad. You need the encouragement. You need the strength. You need the help. You need the direction. You need the manifest presence of God. Because in church is where we find strength and help and direction and a solid foundation that can help us during that storm. And sometimes we get into a storm and we just discard. We discard our dreams. We discard relationships. And some have discarded and severed the relationship with their Bible fellowship leader because their Bible fellowship leader was trying to keep them from creating their own storm. They discarded their discipler when their disciple is just trying to help them from getting into a crisis of their own storm. And one of the things that happens in so many marriages and so many homes is that we fail to recognize when the storms come it's not the time to discard that which Jesus is the head of and loves most, and that's the church. Remember when Jesus told us in that Sermon on the Mount about the man who hears what God says, but he does not do them? He's like a man who built his house on the sand, and when the winds blew and the floods descended, that storm came is what Jesus is describing. What happened to that man's house? It fell flat. If you build on the sand of outward circumstances, majority opinion, the advice of the, advice of the world, when the storms come, it will come. You're going to discard some very precious things valuable to you because God designed it that way. You're going to discard those commitments that you made, those vows that you made, or you're going to discard that dream that God placed in your heart of what God wanted to do in your life. You're going to discard your faith in God. Not only do we drift, not only do we discard some things, but verse 20 tells us how to perpetuate, make your crisis worse, is we despair. We despair. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. The last thing you give up is hope. And when hope is gone, what do you have left? No hope, just total despair. Finally, they said, we've just given up all hope. They're in the darkness for 14 days, it says in this chapter. A tiny ship in the middle of a stormy Mediterranean sea, and they could not see the stars at night, which means it was dark all the time. They could not tell if it was day nor night for 14 days, 24 hours a day. And so finally they threw up their hands and said, there's no hope. It's just dark. It's just dark, 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 dark. Maybe someone here at the point of saying, there's just no hope. My situation is impossible. My circumstance is irreversible. There's no hope. There's no hope for my loved one. There's no hope for my health. There's no hope for my marriage. There's no hope for me to find happiness and peace and fulfillment in life. That's how you perpetuate and continue your storm. But you know the amazing thing about this story is really to me Paul's reaction. Here are the sailors tossing everything overboard in total panic. But Paul's reaction is the reaction of the Apostle Paul 
in any crisis of his life. And Paul's response, I think, gives us four resources here. And I want to close out this third point. And that is how to conquer your storm. He gives us four resources I think can make a, can make a difference. Four resources to get you through because we don't have to drift. We don't have to discard. We don't have to despair. Notice in verse 22. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. This is Paul talking. For there should be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sell with thee. Notice verse 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. For I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. How be it? We must be cast upon a certain island. And so... Here we find the messenger of the Lord speaking, visiting with Paul. And it's really, the truth is, there were men's lives who were spared. Why? Because it was for Paul's sake God did this. It was Paul's faith that honored God. What a testimony he was to the people on that storm-tossed They remembered Paul saying, we shouldn't do this. Expert seamen said, what do you know? Well, Paul maybe didn't know much. He just knew what God knew. We too can have God's peace. Paul's saying, folks, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. We're dying. We're, we're going to perish. I can imagine how they felt on the ship when Paul said that. Be of good cheer. Yeah, right. Someone gag him. Be of good cheer. For there stood by me this night the angel of God whose I am and whom I serve. And so Paul, the ship is going to be destroyed, Paul says, but not one person's life is going to be taken because of, 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 because of Paul's sake, because God's going to save everyone on board because God's doing a work in Paul. I've said this before, I'll say it again. This is just another one of the, the vindications of truth and the testimony that God doesn't just bless people arbitrarily. He just doesn't just, just litter blessings. And if you're alive, God created you. You've, you've experienced the goodness of God. And God's good to us all the time. And we know that all the time God is good. But here's one of the things you find in the Bible. God blesses his men who trust him. And your relationship to the man of God determines the blessings of God upon your life. And here... God's going to bless these men who didn't listen. But they're going to do so because he's sparing Paul. He's got more for Paul to do. We look down in verse 29. Notice what it says. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon the rocks, they cast, what was it? Four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. Let me ask you, what do you do when things look like they're going to fall apart? Let me paraphrase that. Fearing that we're going to be dashed against the rocks, fearing that our lives are, 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 are not going to survive, they dropped four anchors from the stern and then they just prayed for daylight. Now keep in mind, Paul began as a prisoner, but because he's walking with God, 
he ends up as the captain. Paul took over the situation when it was obvious that no one, nobody else knew what to do. Remember, a crisis does not make a person. A crisis shows what a person is made of, and it tends to bring true leadership to the forefront. You know what, what leadership, real leadership is? It doesn't matter what your title is. Real leadership is the person who knows what to do next, knows why it's important to do it, and knows how to bring the appropriate resources to bear at hand. I mean, you can call somebody and they've got the official capacity in which to handle the crisis, but if they don't know what to do next and they don't know why it's important and they don't know how to bring the resources to bear, then they may have the title, but they're not the leader. Paul, being a man of God, was the leader that God was using. And Paul gently rebuked the centurion and the pilot and the captain for ignoring his warning. And soon they discovered that God spared all of them because of Paul. Paul must have had to shout above the spray of that, that storm. In verses 21 and 22, he's telling them, you should have taken my advice. Nevertheless, you listen to me, be of good cheer. You're not going to lose your life. So let me give you four, four anchors that you can drop in your life. When you're in a crisis, every Christian can have courage in the midst of the storm and the crisis of life if you'll use these proper anchors. You can remain calm in a crisis with these four anchors if you will use these. Number one, verse 23 tells us, For there stood by me this night the angel of God. You can have courage in life's storm through the presence of God. Amen. Through the presence of God. That's the first anchor. The presence of God. You may feel like you're alone, but if you're a child of God, you're not. Right. You may feel like you've been forsaken, but you haven't. Jesus was forsaken for you so that you'll never be forsaken. Amen. God says, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. Jesus said, I'll send the comforter that he would abide with you forever. The angel is the representative of God. By the way, I believe that you too have angels that God has appointed. But don't ever use the idea of an angel as a substitute. Understand that the angels are at the beckoning of God. And God cares about His children. If you're not a child of God, you're not certain. You, you, you may feel religious, but you're not certain you have a real relationship with God. You need to get that settled. How do we become aware of God's presence? How do we become aware of the presence of God so that we can take courage and have confidence like Paul? Well, it's not going to be through an audible voice. Rather, it's going to be through the still, gentle assurance of the Holy Spirit through the Word of Almighty God. We need to remain alert to His presence with us in the midst of the storm. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He, God, walks everywhere incognito. And the incognito is not always hard to penetrate. The real labor is to remember to attend. In fact, to come awake. Still more, to remain awake 
to the presence of God. I didn't help you. I, I thought I was pretty good. Yeah, when we are anchored to God's presence, we will display amazing courage in the worst storms. And just as important when we're thus anchored, we can sustain others just like Paul did. When you are hanging on to the anchor of the presence of God, you're then able to help other people. One of the things about the, about the ships that, that have sunk, uh, the, there are those instead of caring for the men, or excuse me, the women and children, there were some men who were more consumed with their own life in the crisis and the thought that I might not make it. But when you are hanging on to the reality of God's presence, Uh, You can be others-minded. Let me give you a second anchor, second anchor out of verse 23. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am. The second anchor is courage and life storms come through the anchor of God's ownership. God's ownership. You know, Paul mastered the storm because he knew who his master was. He belonged to God. He saw himself as God's property. How do we belong to God? So often people have this idea, I do anything I want to do. I do what I want to do. I'm old enough. I'm big enough. I I pay my own bills. I, I do whatever I want to do, really. Even if you're lost and a child of the devil, you belong to God by way of creation. He created you. If you're a child of God, you belong to him Second fold, because he purchased you with his own blood. Who has a right to live independent of God and do what you want to do rather than what God says? Like a bride belongs to the bridegroom. The Song of Solomon says in chapter 2 and verse 16, My beloved is mine and I am his. In fact, the Bible often uses the intimacies between husband and wife to illustrate our union with the Lord Jesus. In Ephesians 5, Paul describes the marriage relationship and he concludes by saying, I'm really talking about the church. That's how important this relationship is. We belong to him in the most exalted and personal way, like a sheep to a shepherd. In John 10, verse 14 and 15, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Verse 15, as the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. We belong to God like a child belongs to his father. Paul traced God's possessions of him, not to the fact that God is just creator, to the fact that God divinely loved him as a father loving his son. God's ownership of Paul enabled Paul to stand tall in a deadly storm. I'm not going to die one moment sooner than God wants me to. I belong to him. For to me, Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul says, I've been this route before. He said that in Philippians. He could think back to this event. And Paul says, I'm not going to die any sooner than God wants me to die. He owns me. Let me give you a third one. Courage in life storms. Verse 23. For the angel stood by me this night and the angel of God. For there stood by me this night the angel of God 
whose I am and whom I, what's the word? Serve. Serve. Courage and life storms come through the anchor of service for God. I believe Paul had courage because he was anchored in the fact that he was on God's business. He wasn't on his business. The God whose I am and whom I serve. He knew nothing could harm him unless God allowed it. In another storm on the same sea centuries later, there was another prophet. But he was there because he didn't have the anchor of God's service. Jonah. He refused to serve God. In fact, the Bible says Jonah tried to flee the presence of the Lord. He was missing that anchor too. Jonah was reproved by the ship's crew. Whereas Paul was able to save his ship's crew. Let me give you a fourth anchor. Courage and life storms come through. Look at verse 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. For I, what's the next two words? Believe God. Courage and life storms come through the anchor of trust in God. You know why Paul displayed such courage? Because he believed God. How can you not believe God? Why, why, why do you lower your standards and, and drop your convictions when he's still God? Why do you mope and whine and complain and pout? Why do you say, I can't serve, I can't give, I can't do it, I, 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 I can't see my way through, I can't, neither could they, neither could Paul. But what he couldn't see around him, he could see beyond him because he believed God. Oh, If our hearts bear the anchors of the Lord's presence and the Lord's ownership and the Lord's service, we're going to be able to stand tall in any storm. Truly trusting and resting in God's omnipresence. He's with us always. His omniscience, He knows everything. His omnipotence, He's all powerful and will enable us to be men and women of courage and shout the words of encouragement above the storm to anyone who can hear. Be of good courage. Dr. Barnhouse was a commentator. He and his wife would have a way to challenge each other, remind each other when one or the other displayed a lack of faith over some problem. When one of them was just kind of indicating that the crisis is bigger than God, one of them would say, well, we think that all things work together for good. And immediately the other one would reply, we know that all things work together for good. See, storms cannot overcome the power of God, but the power of God will either conquer your storm or give you calmness in the midst of your storm. Now, the remaining chapter, we're not going to read it, not going to get into it, but I do want to say it's the story of the shipwreck and reveals how Paul's example, it did bring courage to others. And when you can get a hold of the crisis of your storm, It'll encourage others, and you will be a testimony. And so just give you these, these, these few applications. It's not going to be on the screen here. But, but why? why? Why did God give us this? 
Why does God give us these storms? Well, one, storms often come when we disobey the will of God. We've mentioned that, and Jonah's the good example of that. We suffer sometimes because of just sheer unbelief, and sometimes it's because of the results of others. Second, storms have a way of revealing character, and we talked about that. The storm didn't cause you to crumble. It just revealed that you're building of your life was already on sinking sand. The storm just exposed it. Third, the worst storms can never hide the face of God. The worst storms can never hide the face of God and they can never hinder the purposes of God. That's why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. But Paul, you're going to die. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul says, what can you give me that I can't rejoice in God through or over or about? Finally, storms can give us opportunities to serve others and bear witness to Jesus Christ. So would you get a hold of these anchors? The anchor of God's presence in verse 23. The anchor of God's ownership in verse 23. The anchor that comes through serving God, verse 23. And the anchor of faith in verse 25. And with anchors like these, God's servants will stand strong and true. Amen. What you need to know when you go through the crisis of a storm, let's stand together, please.